kind of all right welcome to the young minds podcast once again on episode 36 um this was right up frank's alley oh my god frank was a fucking kid in the candy store this whole episode yes my eyes were lit up i was like oh my god somebody knows (laughs) knows the answer to the questions that i have and uh this i mean so first off, we had Brianna Diorio, who is a nutritionist, lifestyle coach, overall just metabolic badass, understands everything about the body, all the processes that go on, um, and is constantly researching and trying to understand more. So having that energy and just just very unfiltered, open-minded person, having that energy on our podcast was just such a good mix of personalities and mm-hmm. interests. Uh, we stayed on on point i had a bunch of questions written out here we knocked them all out and she went into great detail gave you really really good uh, advice as to how you apply these things it wasn't just science and um just explanation like a textbook it was here's like a a spark notes of the textbook and then application and so what are things we talked about we talked about caffeine saturated fats vitamin um, intermittent fasting vitamin d uh, a sugar, sugar, sugar and fruit, misconceptions of yep. different foods. Um, we also talked about fake health influencers mm-hmm. um, and short attention span of our <laughs> the millennials. Uh, not even millennials, just anybody really for that matter. People yeah. who like clickbait stuff that uh, it very easily lays out health and makes it very digestible for people and people buy that and you know subscribe to it without any further investigation so we went we went through the pitfalls of that and uh yeah i mean it's it's a fantastic fantastic podcast if you're looking to take something away from here and use it in your life for your health fantastic podcast uh fantastic human being as well she's she's, really awesome she's gonna be on more podcasts 100 um but yeah there's nothing else to explain just listen to this it was yep here we go we're diving in incredible later whoop So you graduated from school but still have no idea what the fuck is going on? Good, because that was the point. Now you're just another mindless pawn in the system. But luckily, you stumbled upon the Young Minds Podcast where we tackled the most up-to-date and relevant topics with unfiltered discussion aimed at optimizing this video game that we call life. Alright, sexies, it's now time to dim the lights, sit back, relax, and open up that mind. And before we begin this journey, we kindly ask you to keep your hands and feet in the craft at all times. And while you're at it, leave us a beautiful review on iTunes or Facebook. Thank you. Good on that side? Yeah, no, we're live. We are now live. Oh, wow, look at this. We are live with the one and only Brianna Diorio. Can I just say I'm so happy that this is finally working? Trial number three. Is this our third time? (laughs) Third time's a charm, you know? Is it though? We've been building anticipation. Are we just that stupid? That's how you do it. We got to build the anticipation. How do I make you bigger on my phone here? I can't. I don't know. Whatever. We'll work out the kinks. So what we're doing, first time we're doing this, I'm in Adobe Audition recording us. Brianna is on Skype and her Skype audio is coming through into Adobe Audition. And then on top of that, we're on a FaceTime group. No, group, group FaceTime. FaceTime. And we're all looking at each other on our phones. Ta-da. So technology. the love-hate relationship with technology. Right? It's going to go really good or really bad. We're going to find out together. Yes. Yeah. And uh, wasn't uh, what what planet is out of retrograde mercury is out of retrograde mercury now. just oh got out of retrograde God. and mercury <laughs> controls communication and technology so let me just say 
It was all aligned, and that's why it happened. Okay, okay. Hey, whatever whatever cover up Frank was shitting on that so much <laughs> I know most people do you know I think it's more of a girl thing any excuse that we can use for like why our life is falling apart we're like oh it's the planet it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> hey you know what whatever works if it works, exactly. whatever, whatever gets the point across yeah no I'm with it so let's start this um, if you could kindly explain what you do who you are where you are what's going on how you oh. feel today yeah, so I'm Brianna Diorio, for those of you who don't know me. I am um, pretty much an all-around nerd. I'm a clinical nutritionist, so I have my master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport, which is a naturopathic program um, based out of Connecticut. I am also a holistic lifestyle coach through the Czech Institute, I'm a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, I'm currently in a PhD program for holistic nutrition, so I'll be, um, you know, a, a doctor on paper, not a real doctor. Um, and then I also um, am the director of education for a private label nutraceutical company based here in sunny California. So I get to travel all over the country and drop knowledge and give lectures and seminars on, you know, nutrition and wellness and nutraceuticals. Um, and I've also had my own nutrition practice for about six years. So, uh, you know, there's definitely a difference, I think, between being like, you know, having alphabet soup behind your name, but then also having clinical practice because people are not research studies. So um, that's been really cool. And I also do some content for, you know, I write for some other people and I do video content for paleo hacks every week. So I get to drop knowledge in front of a big audience for that. And that's pretty much, uh, pretty much my story. Oh, pretty much. Pretty much, right? Just, just a, <laughs> An essay. just a little bit, just a little bit of knowledge here. At least sprinkle it. That, and you forgot, um, you forgot social media enthusiast expert. Ah, uh, yes, That's social media enthusiast for sure. I'm yeah. on a, uh, I, I like to drop knowledge on the daily, just you know, little micro content because you know they say that the average person has the attention span of seven seconds. Um, yeah, and a goldfish is like nine seconds, so we're not like doing <laughs> really? so hot. With, yeah, I thought it was like yeah. three. A goldfish is three. The, the, the goldfish is like Fucking their attention span is like eight or nine seconds, and we're like right around there too. So You know why we're uh, seven seconds? Because of Snapchat. Uh, so, I never have Snapchat. So when Snapchat came out, and all of Snapchat and then Vine, all these platforms started coming out that were like five to seven to ten seconds, and everyone just fucking, I don't know, the human brain just fell right into it. Now we're now shit has to be quick. Yeah, it's literally like ADD culture. Like it's just like impress me now, make like make me laugh now, like teach me something now. And if you can't, then it's on to the next. So it's I don't yes. know. What's gonna, I think yeah. the internet needs to crash soon and then like have a hard reset. We'll see what happens. No, but I love so right. I love the way you post because it is true. You do post micro information about stuff. Like you'll hit a topic, highlight it, one thing about it, and then boom, next next story is a different topic. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, because I actually have had a blog for, like, I don't know, probably seven years, and I feel like people don't even read captions anymore on Instagram, so, like, even that content, which is micro content, it needs to be even more edited down, where people need, like, two to seven sentences, and that's it. Like, they just don't even want to read a paragraph anymore. It's out of control. Yeah, 100%. I mean, mean, as implies the name, Instagram, I need this instantly. I want this now. I want to be wowed, and then I want to move on, scroll down further. It's really, yeah. it's, I don't want to say it's bad, but 
it's hard to yeah right that was weird it's not bad but it's something that we need to work on with our attention span because it it keeps you from learning if something made if something sparked your interest a lot of us like to draw conclusions just from that one little bite and then now we think we know everything in that topic yeah. you know cherry picking information is a problem and i feel like exactly. it's going to just obviously like the natural progression of life is like things are going to it's going to just keep getting worse with social media and like technology as far as like this micro content so soon I don't even know what people are going to, you know, I don't know how they're going to take in their information. Well, I, f I feel like podcasting, since it's so passive, you could play it on the yeah. background. You could have it on your TV. You could have it on your, your uh, sound dock speaker or playing in your car. And you could just kind of do what you normally do if you're hands-free. You could just do what you normally do and listen, take in information. You could cherry-pick the information, but if you're going to spend the two hours listening to a podcast, especially an educational one, you're probably more interested or inclined to learn. So I think that's a better way. Myself, I, I know sitting down reading a book is a little difficult. You know, so audibles, those, are, those have changed my life. So doing research on short articles or... Uh, listening to long audiobooks or podcasts, it's like it's completely changed my life. Definitely, you know? I suggest audiobooks to my clients a lot of the times because they just, you know, like they don't retain the information the same way, or it's just, you know, like I mean, we all learn differently. So I think that is a, a huge thing that's been positive as far as technology goes. Completely agreed. So I did want to roll into this now since we're we don't have it over here, but you have it over there. The sun. Right. Yeah. And so with the sun comes a great vitamin. Well, or she's in California because we didn't say that yet. I don't I think, think anyone she knows. Said, Did she? She said sunny California where she, uh, oh, well, she has her nutraceutical. My headphones company. aren't working. That's what's happening. Yeah, that's what's going yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> so you have the sun and you get plenty of exposure to the sun. And now for about five, six months, as you know, on the East Coast, we really don't or the upper East Coast. Uh, we don't get exposed to the sun, so we are missing out on Mr. Vitamin D. We all need the D, but we can't get it, totally. right? So with that, a lot of people don't understand why it's so important. And if you could just give us a little breakdown, give us a little spark notes on what vitamin D is and what role it plays in the human body. Yes. So anybody who follows me knows that I'm all about the Daily D Challenge. And I like to also preface this. I grew up in Jersey, so I put in my time with the dark, dreary weather and the gray skies. So I feel like I Jersey's even worse than New York. Oh, my God. Jersey yeah. is. And then I went to grad school in Connecticut, so it's been great. Oh, I was just in Connecticut yesterday. They have yeah. such a deer problem. Not to go off on a tangent, yeah. but they have a really bad deer problem. And we were on our way home from Vermont, and we saw a seven-car pileup. One car was flipped over, and there was a deer with all of its limbs mangled in the middle no of the road. Way. Yeah, it delayed our ride home like 45 minutes. And uh, it was really bad just how many deer we saw dead on the road. And then we see this one giant accident because of a deer within yeah. that hour-long span that we drove through Connecticut so deer and Lyme disease because of all the chicks that they have there so Connecticut not doing great yeah, but what, um what's the point of yeah, Connecticut so, <laughs> yeah, so let's get back point. to vitamin D please <laughs> sorry um but yeah so I'm a really big proponent of you know vitamin D and the daily D challenge I joke and I say like you got to get your you know your D in or whatever it's obviously cheeky but it's also really important because vitamin D deficiency is something that 40 to 70 percent of the population is affected by and as you get older, depending on the color of your skin, where you actually live, like latitude, longitude, all this can affect the UV and how much vitamin D you're actually absorbing. 
Um, and so vitamin D actually is a pro-regulatory hormone in the body. It acts more like a hormone than it does a vitamin. Um, it can control up to like 3,000 genes in our body. We actually have vitamin D receptors in almost every single cell in our body, like everywhere from our brains to our breasts to our bones. So that's why it's able to influence so many things. Um, like vitamin D actually produces over 200 antimicrobial peptides in the body. So things that actually keep our immune system uh, potent. That's why they found like vitamin D deficiency linked to so many different kinds of cancers, like up to 16 different kinds of cancers. Really? Because it can modulate, yeah, it can modulate our immune system, but it can also modulate some of these inflammatory pathways that they're studying in cancer. So things like, you know, like tumor neurosis factor um, and like, you know, like NF-kappa-B, which is like some of these things you've probably heard about or read about. The names aren't super important, but I'm sure you've like seen them in articles or like little snippets or whatever. Um, and if I had inflammation, right, is like the root cause of a lot of our problems. So vitamin D itself as, you know, like a supplement or vitamin D as this pro-regulatory hormone is really beneficial. But UV from the sun also produces a lot of really different benefits than just getting vitamin D, let's say, from a supplement. Because the thing about vitamin D also from a supplement is there's two different kinds of vitamin D. We have, you know, vitamin D2 and vitamin D3, and they are a little bit different as far as how our body absorbs them and the half-life, so, like, for how long they actually can stick around in our bloodstream. Um, but UV from the sun, we kind of have this self-regulation where our body doesn't get this toxicity because everybody's afraid of, you know, how much vitamin D is too much vitamin D. Um, but the UV radiation or the UV, like, light, the UVB and the UVA, is really beneficial because it can produce a couple of things like endogenously or our body on its own. So we can create things like beta endorphins, right, when we have UV exposure. So that's why we feel good, like after being in, in the sun all day or when people are on vacation or, you know, in the summer when you have a tan, right, like you feel good. Um, it actually produces nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is really important for, you know, our blood pressure control and for cardiovascular health. I want to jump in and validate that really quick. So my friends and I, my friend a while ago, he built a, a gym outside, the kid I went snowboarding with yesterday. And he, while we were working out, it was like the first time I ever worked out in intense sunlight. And I thought, and I said this to you once, I think, when we were working out at an outlift. I was like, dude, there's something about being out here that's – I feel like mm -hmm. I got a sun pump, and I kept calling it sun pump, and I, uh -huh. I didn't think – I just thought it was retaining heat, like, as if I had a heavy shirt on, my my body wasn't losing heat, and, like, you know, like, when it gets cold, your your blood vessels will uh, kind of close up, and you'll the surface blood will, go, will wash away, and I felt – I was like, there's something about sitting outside with the intense sun where I'm getting this crazy pump. My veins are exploding. Like, I feel like I'm keeping my pump the entire time. So that's funny that you validate that because that's compl that's exactly what happened. That's why I love going to Outlift. We work out in, outside. outside yeah. and it just feels better. It just makes totally. sense. My stamina goes up. I feel like if I work outside or do anything, like, I'd wash my car. I wouldn't even – think about it. I'm going in super intense <clears throat> and uh, I just take off my shirt and wash my car and just be like I need the sun it like helps getting me such work. a nice visual right now yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just some um, dude. so with all that being said about vitamin D what would you suggest someone who is in the unfortunate situation like we are being in New York for five six months of no sun what I mean is a vitamin D pill good enough yeah, so I think everybody should be on a baseline vitamin D supplement regardless, just because it controls so many aspects of our health and it can regulate and support so many different pathways in the body. So getting your vitamin D levels checked is, you know, step one. 
being on a baseline of vitamin D anywhere between, you know, 2,000 to 10,000 IUs, depending on what your levels are. But again, because being exposed to actual UV light is so beneficial, using a UVB safe tanning bed um, or even using bright light therapy in the morning, because think about it, like seasonal affective disorder, like this is a huge thing that people um, everywhere experience, but especially on, you know, the East Coast as well. Is that the same as um, red light therapy? So red light therapy is a little bit different. There are some similar benefits, but the UV exposure, it has like the, the 10,000 loss so first thing in the morning because when you have UV exposure, especially through the retina, this affects obviously our melatonin levels, which acts like an antioxidant in the body as well, but also can upregulate serotonin production. So that's why we actually feel good when we have that bright light, um, where the red light is a little bit more calming for things like our cortisol levels and um, like more beneficial for like growth hormone and testosterone and stuff like that. So there's some similarities, but the bright light therapy is a little bit more um, because of that UV exposure. So you're getting different UVs from the red light therapy because, you know, the longer, um, the longer wavelengths. But so you could definitely, you know, people I know have um, issues with like tanning bed safety and, you know, people think about, you know, skin cancer and things like that. But there's actually um, people who have safe exposure. You don't have to go in there and get, you know, really red. The way to actually increase your vitamin D levels is you have to have about 70% of your skin exposed you and if you're outside, like it should be as close to solar noon as possible, and then having your skin get one shade before pink. So if you're somebody who knows your skin type well, then going in like for me, I'm super pale and pasty, so like I can last for like seven minutes in a tanning bed before I get like super red. So for me, like seven minutes every couple of days, um, they say anywhere between ten to twenty minutes is equivalent to that ten thousand I use of sun, depending again on kind of your age and your ethnicity and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you can definitely use a tanning bed. Also, like I said, bright light exposure, 30 to 60 minutes first thing in the morning um, are also good ways to raise those beta endorphins and those vitamin D levels. But a bing. Yeah, no, because when I used to run in the morning, so I did facet cardio every morning in the summer. And when the sun was coming up right before work and I felt as – I would have my shirt off and make sure I just hung out out there for about eight to 10 minutes. That would be how long the cardio lasted. And I would just expose myself to as much sun as possible. And my day would start a lot better. And then I started doing it with a shirt on in colder weather. And I wasn't getting that same endorphin release, even though I was physically doing the same thing. It wasn't, I wasn't exposed to the sun and it's just, it's totally. so important. That makes me I mean, sad it's so different. that we don't have the sun right now. Right, we're at such a disadvantage. Now that we're talking about it. People who live in California, like I was actually just at dinner with my friend last night, you know, and she like grew up here in California and her vitamin D levels are still like really low. So again, just because you're exposed to the sun doesn't mean that you're actually absorbing the sun because you do have to have this very particular way of actually getting the sun, making sure the UV is optimal, that you had your sun exposure, that it's like in between like your, you know, your chest and your groin area is actually where your body absorbs most sun or like your arms and your legs. So you're not really getting it. Like you don't absorb as much from your face. So there's a lot of these other little like very particular ways where you have to raise those vitamin D levels. But it's really interesting too, because vitamin D, when you're talking about feeling good, a lot of people talk about like BDNF, like the growth factor, like for new things in your brain. But what people don't also realize is that we have something called GDNF. So it's like 
the gila, which is the part of the brain that deals with our immune system in our brain, and again, some of our neurotransmitters. So UV exposure can raise both BDNF and GDNF, so also like making us feel good, which again is you're not going to get that necessarily from a supplement or a pill. So get outside and play in the sun, one of the easiest and cheapest ways to improve your health. Yeah, I read something once, I don't know if it's true, but it said um, all the vitamin D deficiencies could be stopped or over overcome with 25 minutes a day in the sun obviously depending on how strong the sun is where you live but that was it 25 minutes yeah, a day would change sure. yeah. yeah because i mean think about our evolution i mean we were exposed to sun all the time i mean well yeah we where humans started yeah there was nothing but sun yeah and it was in, a, in the rift valley which is in africa right near the equator i mean you're getting optimal sun from that one area i mean from so, there over time we've lost like your skin totally covered or using like spf which is just they say that using like an spf of 30 or above can actually decrease the absorption of your sun exposure by about 90 to 95 percent so even think about some of the spfs that they make that are like 70 spf and people are slathering that on every like six minutes because you know god forbid they got some color on their skin so even that's i think it's a huge problem yeah, but I mean, sunscreen on its own is just disgusting. The chemicals that are in it, just absorbing that all. Uh, coconut totally. oil is what I use. Yeah, I think like five. I think. I think yeah, I was gonna say nine, but five nine. Yeah. I'm sure there's no yeah, difference. Hairs. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but uh, that's that's what I love using coconut oil. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so as for a supplement, you don't think that there is anything that's comparable to sunlight? Just to kind of wrap that up. Yeah, just because, I mean, it can definitely raise your vitamin D levels. Um, vitamin D3 particularly does a much better job of raising your levels um, because the half-life of vitamin D3 is about, like, up to 10 weeks, where vitamin D2 can be cleared from your system in anywhere between 5 to 15 days. So if you're somebody who has really low levels, you're going to want to take vitamin D3. Um, but you're going to get additional benefits from actual UV exposure, like the things like the endorphins and nitric oxide production. There's even been research that shows UV exposure can help to clear beta amyloid plaque in the brain. So things that's linked with like Alzheimer's disease and dementia as well. So I think you're going to just get some more benefits that last longer as opposed to taking a pill every day that maybe you're not going to take or, you know, you're just not taking the right dosage anyway. So you get just a little bit more. It's like going to your favorite coffee shop and like getting a coffee and then getting a stamp for a free coffee or just like getting additional benefits. Got it. Okay. That totally perfect, perfect uh, way to wrap it up. But uh, also speaking of mm. coconut oil, uh, brings us to saturated fat, public enemy number one. Yeah, um, seriously. So it gets a lot of bad air time. Uh, saturated fat was demonized for a very long time and over a couple of over the past couple of years it's gotten a much better understanding and has a better reputation than it did but it, there's a lot of stigma that still needs to be but, knocked down yeah and and recently i've had people come up to me and say oh did you hear that uh coconut oil is so bad for you now and i look at them i'm like do you hear yourself like first of all shut the fuck up <laughs> and, but they're like yeah no avocados and coconut oil are look at this study they're really bad for you and they'll pull up some random fucking thing that says studies show that and whatever it's like stupid but i don't know people just listen to these to these weird um they, they just hear sound bits saturated yeah. fat sounds bad like saturated what 
there's never a good saturated thing. So it just sounds like a bad word, saturated fat. Like it's full of fat, it's saturated with it. But I, I think it gets a bad rap. And if you could help try to close that, uh, that stigma. Yeah, right here on Young Minds Podcast, we're going to close the stigma for the entire world. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. The world right is now. watching, Brianna. Let them know. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that goes back to that sort of that clickbaity information. Like, just because you write an article with a catchy title doesn't mean that it's a credible article, number one, or that there's any truth and validity to the scientific research. I think people also need to understand nowadays because everybody thinks that they can just write one article and that that is credible. Like you need to also understand how the research was conducted. Was it a randomized clinical control trial? How many people was it? Was it like five dudes in a basement getting paid with pizza or was it like pharmaceutical company like sponsoring this, you know, uh, this, this study as well. So I think there's like a lot of that that people need to take into consideration before they just read the, and again, how we were talking about before, like people just read an article title and that's it. And so this actually kind of happened way before, like, this was an epidemic here. There was a guy named Ansel Keys, who you guys probably know about, the seven, the yep. seven country study, right, where he cherry-picked data. And he's kind of the reason that saturated fat became villainized many moons ago, like in the, in the early 50s, 60s, um, because he wanted to try and show a study between, you know, or correlation between saturated fat and, you know, a lot of these diseases that we have, like cardiovascular disease and whatnot. Um, and what people don't realize is that he actually studied 22 different countries, not seven countries, but he cherry picked his data and found a little bit of correlation between some of these countries that had saturated fat and the increase of some of these, you know, diseases. So he published that and then the New York Times or not the New York Times, I think the Times Magazine like ran an article on it and then it kind of just caught wind from there. And so this, like I said, had this problem goes back, you know, but there's actually never been one study that has correlated this saturated fat, the same thing like with cholesterol and heart That's disease. A big one. Problems that That's a big one. Having. Right. So, I tell people all the time the is, how much, oh, how many ahead. eggs and how much meat I eat for cholesterol. And they're like, oh my God, your levels are probably through the roof and all this stuff. And my doc, my doctor said this and my doctor said that. I'm like, no, man. And my like, doctor studied one class in nutrition once. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I no, mean, your liver can... produces about four, uh, about 1600 like milligrams of cholesterol a day, regardless if you're getting it from the diet or not. And cholesterol is a whole nother topic. Like that is something that is so misunderstood by this. I think people are getting a little bit more well-versed in it, um, but it's more so about your LDL particle size and oxidized cholesterol. And so same thing with, you know, like saturated fat. Like it's not that saturated fat is bad. It's what else are you eating on top of, let's say, saturated fat? Is your diet like, you know, I don't know, candy and fake butter and Pepsi and then yeah, you're going to have oils, artificial yeah, sweeteners. Oils. Right. Like then for sure you're going to have a problem. But getting saturated fat from, you know, things like palm oil and grass fed butter and MCTs, like these are all really beneficial actually for decreasing inflammation and neuroinflammation. So things like dealing with our brain health, um, for lowering lipids, for actually increasing our HDLs, which is, uh, they say it's quote safer cholesterol. I mean, there's no such thing as really bad cholesterol. Our body makes both of them. Um, but actually it's been shown to even decrease our LDL particle size, which are, uh, actually increase our LDL particle size because we don't want those small dense type B particles as well. So 
we need saturated fat for every single cell in our body. Mother's breast milk is about 56% saturated fat. So like one of the first things that you're fed to grow and nourish your mind and body and brain, like if it was really that bad for you, I don't think it would be naturally like occurring in, you know, like what moms are giving their babies. So I think it's like I said, most topics is that just oversimplified and, um, again, a lot of these research studies that have come out on it, like there's not a lot of, there's not really good, you know, trials run on it. So they're poorly run research studies that had a, you know, catchy headline. And then it's run by the American Heart Association, which is really funny because like cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of Americans, yet they're the ones who are going to try and, you know, push that onto us when really like the food pyramid and stuff like that is made by government officials, not nutritionists or dietitians or naturopaths and things like that. So I think we still have a long ways to go with, with fighting that battle. Yeah. yeah Studies are a tricky thing. Cause I have a, I have a story too about a study. Remember a couple, uh, I know you remember this Frank cause Frank was Mr. Keto for a long time. That's what he was known for. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a study that came out maybe a couple months ago that said the title was like, uh, cause keto's trendy. So the title was, um, a ketogenic diet will increase your chances of diabetes. And when I read that, I'm like, you fucking retards. Like that's, listen to what you're saying. So this is what I always say when you read a study, go into it, go into that study and dig, see what you can find. So here's what the study, here's what was happening. They were doing the study on mice, right? And they were feeding them a keto, a ketogenic diet, really high in fats and uh, whatever, high in fats. So it's like, okay, what is, what are you feeding them? It was, um, rat food pellets, but these pellets were fat, but they were hydrogenated oils and artificial sweeteners. So from that, they got diabetes and, or like, I forgot if it was high diabetes or, um, hypertension, hypertension or something, but something bad. And then they, they just twisted the statements to make it sound, uh, like keto's bad. But for, for what reason? I don't know. Maybe just because... Well, there's a lot of incentive for the sugar industry and the oh, corn industry. Well, that's true. And the corn industry is directly correlated to the sugar industry because our form of sugar in the United States is high fructose corn syrup, which is a derivative yeah. of corn. Um, but also th with the studies too, I've noticed a lot of them with saturated fat uh, specifically, they're looking at studies of people who consume saturated fat physically and consuming it but what are you pairing it with like with a hamburger which would have your your white flour bun and then you have your french fries fried in hydrogenated oils with your soda or a milkshake and then it's like well that person consumed saturated fat the burger was the main dish and then the side dishes eh, it was fries with fr fried in oil but he had saturated fat which means now that's your problem the saturated fat so the incentive program behind saturated fat is not as strong as it is for sugar uh, when it comes to the economy, at least. But, uh, totally. And 66% of medical research is funded by pharmaceutical companies. And so yeah. I'm not here to bash pharmaceuticals. Like there's definitely a time and a place for pharmaceuticals and Western medicine. But I, you know, that's actually one of the first things I always tell people is scroll down. If you go, if somebody actually, God forbid, reads an entire research paper, like, and goes to the bottom of PubMed, they will always say, it will say conflicts of interest. And it will say like this, you know, if it was funded by somebody or whatever. So I think that's also important to take into consideration. And again, like, just like how you said, 
yeah, the saturated fat component is one portion or the diet por- is one portion, but like there's also lifestyle pieces. And like, did they actually follow up the study? Was it just like a two week thing? You know, did they check on these people like 30 years later and see what their stress levels were like? Are they sleeping enough? What are their relationships like past traumas? Like there's so many other factors and diet is such a small, small portion of it that it's really hard to make again, like, you know, these correlation claims that don't always equate to being truthful and credible. Agreed. Agreed. And that's people too, who also do the carnivore diet, right? Have you, I'm guessing you're, you know about the carnivore diet. <laughs> she rolls her eyes. <laughs> oh so, so they're changing their lifestyle and actually focusing on staying regimented. So now they're making sure that their workouts are good. Their sleep is good because they're taking on this new thing. But is it necessarily the diet that helped you or is it the lifestyle shift and the way that you approach new situations? Well, that's that, what happens a lot dialed with, in. with veganism. Someone will go vegan oh, but God. You open that up. What? <laughs> you open up that one. Yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. All right. Same, but what I'm saying, it's lifestyle. Like they'll go vegan, but all of a sudden they change everything they eat. They're all they're eating more veggies. They're not eating, right. you know, sugars, and and all of a sudden you feel great. So you tie it to veganism, or you tie it to the carnivore diet. Yeah, but it's but it's, it's, it's that misleading. one little catalyst. Anytime you make nutrition a religion, you were going to have a problem because. That's like, and I think that that's what people need to also understand is there is no one size fits all. I think people can agree on that on some level. There is no one size fits all. If there was, it wouldn't be a multi-billion dollar industry. There wouldn't be new books written and, you know, experts in the field, whatever. But there are a lot of common denominators and whatever diet you choose to believe in or make it your philosophy, like how you were saying, like the goal should be eating more vegetables and fruits, like reducing your sugar intake stressing out less, like going to sleep, playing outside. Like there's all these other lifestyle factors that again, yeah, nutrition is important and it's one part of it, but it's not the end all be all. And like just removing more shit from your diet and adding in more good stuff should be the basis. If that means you want to eat like a shit ton of meat, good for you. I always joke and I'm like potato diet 2018, like, because this is like, there's all these new diets trending all the time. And I like, I just, I can't wait to see what's next or what fitness influencer is going to come about. And, you know, I think compliance and your ability to adhere to whatever it is continuously is what's going to be most beneficial for your health while also having some sanity and making it a lifestyle change. So like if you're somebody who doesn't like eating meat and you want to do the carnivore diet because somebody lost whatever 12 pounds of fat, like, and you hate meat, that's not going to work for you. You're going to do it for two weeks and then, you know, fall back into old habits. So it's figuring out what works for you long-term and also listening to your body besides just weight things. So like, you know, is your skin better? Is your sex drive better? Do you have healthier periods? Like, are you in a better mood all the time? Like those are all other things that matter besides just like how your, you know, pants fit or how you look good naked because health is so much bigger of a concept than just a number on the scale, which I'm, I'm hoping that people are starting to understand more. But the yeah, number no, on the scale is easy to sell. That's the thing. It's easy to make money with just totally. numbers. Yeah. But that's what yeah. people and care And that's about. like the problem with this, this insta ho and Insta-bro like mentality that we have on Instagram now where, Wait, what you know, was, uh... everyone's Hold nutritionist. On. You, I remember you said, I said bro science. And what was, what was your thing? The, the flip of that? Ho science? Ho science. Yes, yeah. that was so funny. I was dying when you sent that. 
I've never it, heard of that before. Ho science. Yeah. So girls who just post their you bubbles. You know, funny though, because uh. like everybody's, ba- you know, the new thing is that everybody's bashing like uh, doctors, right? And like doctors not having enough nutrition courses and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And like, if anything, I'm actually seeing like, and that's fine. Like I get it. Regular doctors, like they're not getting the nutrition courses they need, this and that. But there's also like, I think the bigger epidemic is people who are not credible on any level. You did one isogenics cleanse and now you're taking on nutrition clients or like message me for your macros. Like that doesn't make you a nutritionist. That doesn't make you understand the biochemistry of what's going on with people's individual needs and their health. So if anything, I think like this, you know, people discrediting now people who have actually put in time to go to, you know, schooling and and on the, on the other side of that, there's there's naturopaths out there and people in the functional medicine field who are completely drinking the wrong Kool-Aid of, you know, saying, you know, there was that whole big thing with the pH diet and the guy who's getting sued for cancer claims and all that. So it's like you also have to be smart about who you're even working with. And like there's a fine line between credentials and then just marketing puffery and, you know, being really good at, you know, 30 days shred. And like, that's obviously not working because we keep having, or I love, this is what I'm seeing now. All these like fucked up bikini uh, competitors who like with their metabolism, right? Yeah, and now they're, they're like, reverse the diet, and I'm a gut health expert. I'm like, why are you a gut health expert? Because you lost your period for six months, and, like, you think you know about hormones now? Like, no, you fucked up your body, and now you're pretending to capitalize on that. And that's, like, doing more disservice to people than it is good. And, it like, you know, it's it's a real bummer because it's people's health at the end of the day, and people spend good hard-earned money on that, you know? Yeah, and the scary part about that is that those people don't – they don't know that they don't know things so they have that that quick uh it's validation immediately like oh what i put to test actually worked and now i i'm gonna share this with the world and it's a noble act they actually they care and they do want to push this uh push this information and help other people for the most part but i've noticed that they really believe their own bullshit you know a lot especially with the bikini competitors they start selling meal plans after that because they're now they're successful they've they placed first after you know listening to their coach and having all of this formal training and they say oh yeah well i have the experience under my belt now i'm going to give this to other people and i noticed that their diet is also extremely bland and it lacks a lot of micronutrients and just keeps up with macros and they're they're very vague with their explanations they'll say oh it helps with this helps with sleep helps with your gut health and then move they move away from that they keep it extremely general and they just want to cover everything just enough to where you as the person who doesn't know anything believes that they know everything and they're embodying all this knowledge and they've they've done the research for you and people like us could even get accused of of doing that whether we show you our credentials or not you know we kind of get mixed in and we are all camouflaged right and it's really up to us now to try to differentiate our expertise or what we consider expertise. Um, obviously, you have a, a much different range of knowledge than we do. We have a different range of knowledge, whether it be more in this place or less in this place. It's just where do we validate these people and their their understanding and how do we know what's real and what's not real, what's backed by science, what's backed by anecdotal. So I think it's totally. dangerous. It's funny. I actually used to do fitness competitions. I did uh, bikini competitions. Yeah, so embarrassing to say. But back in the day, because I did it did to show that you could like, 
I didn't. I competed in um, what was it? I, I did the natural division one. I forget what it was called. Um, but I wanted to show that you could like live a holistic life and be balanced and whatever, whatever. And so I actually do this all the time. I never tell people that I'm a nutritionist. Like I do things undercover all the time. So I had this coach, and I didn't tell him that I was a nutritionist. So like I was asking him uh... a lot of questions about stuff, and it was the opposite of what we were just talking about because. I like couldn't eat certain things like, you know, like nightshade vegetables don't do always well with me and this and that. And like, so I would ask him questions about like, well, why, why are you doing this? Or like, I can't eat this. And he just never had any answers. And it was a bummer because I would see these girls and their, you know, their hormones were just wrecked. And then their relationship with food was really bad. And I actually got a lot of business after competing because there were so many women that they just had so many issues with, you know, losing their periods with their gut health mental emotional side of things like the relationship with food and this and that and so it's like people like that is what gets me upset where if you're not in it to try and actually help people understand the why and that's I always joke and I say I have the most educated clients because health is really confusing like I do this every day and there are some days at the end of the day where I'm like oh my god there's not enough time in the day to like learn all the things I want to learn and I feel like I don't know enough and And even when you you do learn what you want to learn new shit comes out and you're like oh I was wrong or, right. oh, this, it's is, like this is different. It's confusing for people, you know? And I think that that's, that's part of the problem of Dr. Google now is that everybody thinks that just because they've read an article or, you know, whatever, that that makes them a qualified health professional. Like, it doesn't. And I think helping to understand the why and the education component of it is super important because you're like nothing without your health, you know? It's literally, you can have all the followers and money and all this in the world, but your health is so important. And once people kind of get to that place where they don't feel well anymore, that's when they start to get desperate. So they'll go for somebody who's doing a running a six week shred program or whatever it is because they, they want to get healthy. And I don't, I don't always trust the intentions of what's on the other end of like, are they really doing this to help people and help them understand why their body got to this dysfunction in the first place? Or are they just trying to make a quick buck? Exactly. Do you Uh, think it's possible in the future to have like, education like we have on nutrition for the entire society uh i think i think school like what would that look like i I don't know because i feel like you know school i'm a nerd obviously like i am all about pedigrees and get all the degrees you can and all that kind of stuff but at the same time i also do understand that school is a place where it teaches you how to learn i would say 80 percent of my knowledge that i have on nutrition is not from school, grad school, or a PhD program. It's I mean, from it's the same for Frank and I. Eighty percent of totally, the shit we like, know did not come from school. Yeah, it's like ninety eight. And even <laughs> I went to a natural program, like you know, that's like where we. It was all the weird kids together talking about like you know anti this and anti that. But you still have to learn some of the bullshit basics of like this is a carbohydrate, protein, and fat, and like some old school philosophies. So like even if like you know like again back to the whole like people bashing doctors or whatever like. Even if they started to integrate, let's say, a nutrition program, it still wouldn't be enough. And it would still probably be some of the bullshit classes that, like, even I had to take in a master's degree level in a naturopathic school. Like, you have to want to take the time to learn and, you know, like, go through that on your own. But that's hard because there are there's new research studies coming out every day. It's actually being able to filter through those, finding time, like, what's credible, what's not. So I think being able to find a few practitioners that you're into or maybe like a few journals or articles that you really like and just dedicating to maybe even reading just like one or two articles, you know, like a week to start with, I think would be a good jumping off point for people and just kind of sticking to that and having an open mind again of not being like a zealot about, 
you know, this is the only philosophy. Because if you only believe certain things, like then you're not going to be able to even have an intelligent conversation about like, this is the benefits for a keto diet, or this is why gluten free maybe isn't everything it's cracked up to be. So I think it's also having an open mind and being a nutrition agnostic about things. Agreed, one hundred percent. So uh, one thing we did, we I wanted to close out the uh, the saturated the saturated fat and sugar loop really quick. Um, a lot of people are concerned about fruit, and they think that fruit has too much sugar. And if they're scared of sugar, then why would they eat fruit? Um, would you be able to go into some of the justification for fruit consumption as to why it is something that we should Actually, be getting in our diet? Can I tell a funny story? Uh, what it has to do with this? Okay. Um, I had, uh, a trainer once, a guy who was teaching me to be a trainer and he was, he was explaining how he was explaining a story of one time he was telling a client about with his kids, he makes them fruit smoothies every day. And the lady like looks at him. She's like, Oh my God, you give that to your kids. They're, they, they might get diabetes. And he like stopped and looked at her and was like, miss, you don't get diabetes from fruit from too much fruit like that's not possible right am i right or? it's true it's yeah. so true I but mean, that's like, what people spend... think people think like sugar fruit it... you eat too much you'll get diabetes totally and, and even that goes back to like when i competed my i remember i wasn't allowed to eat like fruit because of god forbid you had carbohydrates and sugar and that was going to be the end of you and whatever and it was like i was like cra i remember craving like pineapple and like strawberries that's like all i wanted when i was competing um but it's you know we we spend 3.2 trillion dollars on healthcare like currently in our country of that 86% of those those funds are related to preventable diseases i highly doubt that fruit is the reason that you're seeing people in the er or seeing you know our lifestyle you know decrease the quality of life having people you know being on prescription antibiotics having uh, you know, like the cancer rates that we do and the heart disease rates that we do, like fruit is probably the least of people's problems. But again, I think people love this mentality of jumping to conclusions and this all or nothing mentality. Um, what people do need to realize is that there's a difference between eating whole real fruits and then drinking, quote, fruit juice or, you know, these prepackaged things, which is stripping the fruit of the fiber and the antioxidants and the nutrients. I mean, I was just at the airport a couple weeks ago and I forget what brand it was, but I turned it over and there was 56 grams of sugar in it, like of a fruit. That's normal. Juice, which is, Even Tropicana is, will be like that. Totally, I love, I love like, that Tropicana orange juice, the back, it says 5% juice. It's so right. fucking funny. Oh. Cause it's like, all right, so 95% of everything that's in here is not orange juice. Right. Freshly totally. squeezed. Freshly and on the squeezed picture my in the front, it's just the dripping orange, which you can't find in nature anyway. Yeah. Actually, I think I already said yeah. on this podcast, but I had uh, at the barber shop, I was explaining to a guy, he he was a barber there, and he's like, yeah, every morning I wake up, I drink my orange juice, Tropicana. And I'm just like, uh, dude, well, how about yeah. water? Like, try water. Right. And right. I was like, put a little uh, pink lemonade, uh Himalayan pink salt in it, little, some electrolytes, slice up yeah. cucumbers, strawberries, like, and then I explained to him what Tropicana orange juice was, and his yeah. eyes were wide open. He was, like, taking all the information in, like, it was the first time he's ever heard that. I'm just like, wow, man, just, just water. Just try water, dude. You'll just feel pure, great. Pure trust in advertisers and, and uh, you know, corporate America. Like, oh, they got my back. They, they don't care about my consumption habits. They care about my health and my wellness. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 
But I mean, so there's definitely a big difference between, yeah, like drinking orange juice in the morning and then eating real fruit or even like blending fruit because every food that we have, I mean, in, in Chinese medicine, they say eat your medicine like that, in which is very true because food is like literally that. information for our cells, you know, because the fruit and whatever food we're eating contains plant compounds. So things like phenolic acid and, you know, antioxidants and vitamin C and, you know, your B vitamins and vitamin K and all these things that act to support other processes in the body. So yes, you're getting some sugar from the fruit, but it's very different than straight up fructose from something like, you know, uh, Pop-Tart, right? Which is, or fructose from alcohol, which is very different as well. Ooh, Frank. Sorry, 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 sorry. My bad, my bad. Just mute it. I know. Good. Yeah, sorry about that. Why'd you send off? Because you guys just disappeared, and I didn't get to see your beautiful faces. Oh, we faces. disappeared. Um, no, sorry. You just wanted to go have a fruit smoothie. <laughs> is there... There is a benefit to eating the fruit with when you have fiber and the sugars together, right? I don't quite know what it does. I don't remember, but... I'd heard it slow... Oh, well, I mean, we have the extra here. Yeah, do you, do you know what I'm talking about, though? Like when you well, eat an apple. Well, totally. I mean, it can obviously it can alter the you know the blood sugar spike, which is going to be really important as well. The fiber in there as well. Totally. The blood sugar yeah. Spike. So it and can the affect our, yeah. you know the insulin levels and blood glucose levels because that's also another huge problem in America. It's not you know stress is a big problem for us and things like that, but also dysregulated blood glucose that affects a lot of other problems in the body because that's a form of stress in the body. And anytime we have a form of stress, whether that's real or perceived that usually in, initiates an inflammatory response in the body, which goes back to this whole concept of inflammation being a problem. So a lot of these plant compounds can actually help to regulate blood glucose response and our insulin receptors. Um, again, and then a lot of those other antioxidants can support things like pr uh, preventing the you know production of things like free radical damage, which can damage our cell membranes and our mitochondria. So fruit themselves are really nutrient dense so you're getting a lot of those vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that people are taking and buying in supplements when you can literally just eat it in your food when pharmaceutical companies go and study pathways in the body to create things like drugs like metformin right like they go and they look at targeted mechanism of action so things like the cox2 enzyme right this is like what advil works on or tylenol things like that there's actually certain plant compounds that literally work on the same exact pathways in the body so it's like you can just start with your diet first and go back to the basics of eating whole real foods like reducing sugar um you know i always joke and i say like I, I talk about this all the time like people will say like oh well can i eat rice or can i eat potatoes and i'm like yeah what are the ingredients in rice and potatoes rice and potatoes and then people go and try and get these like whatever vegan like meat-based, I don't know, crazy things or what. And I'm like, go read the ingredients on that. There's a whole laundry list of ingredients. Like, let's just get back to the basics of, you know, what's the ingredients in a banana, a banana, like, and then people are worried about the sugar. So the fructose <laughs> from that is very different because there's also a mixture of fructose and glucose and that all gets broken down. But fructose from things like, you know, alcohol is very different. And, you know, again, some of these uh, fructose from, you know, like artificial sugars and stuff like that even can be much more problematic on the gut microbiome and again the liver cells as well so fruit is definitely i would say the least of america's problems agreed agreed so you just hit the the next point gut health Did she? it is a <laughs> is a very big and up and coming study um, in science um, and we're seeing so many correlations between our gut health and our overall health 
and now we have all of these probiotic supplements that are coming out and kombucha is on the rise and all of these different now tre they seem trendy some of them seem like they have good intent but a lot of them do seem trendy and uh, we also came across a couple brands of kombucha which is a probiotic drink uh, that just they put a little bit of false. caffeine in it, very, very little mm -hmm. caffeine, and then that's what excites you, and then you start thinking that you're getting this positive effect from a probiotic. Um, so there's this huge craze around it, and would you be able to explain the complexity of it and the fact that there are no direct correlations or one-size-fits-all kind of probiotic and basically what makes up our gut microbiome and... Why is it so important? That's a loaded question. Here yeah, we go. It's all the same thing. Because that's well, this the is thing. like one of my favorite topics. I'm actually on the Natural Product Association Probiotic Committee board. Like, I bet this you is are. how much of a loser <laughs> I am. Like, so I have my badge I, and everything. Yeah. So it's like one of my most favorite topics uh, because the gut influences so much in our body. But with everything else in health, this has now become a topic where it's become very marketable and it's become very oversimplified, even to the point where people think probiotics work by helping you grow new bacteria in the body. And that's actually not how probiotics work at all. So like, you know, our gut and our brain literally develop from the same set of cells, right? And we have our vagus nerve, which essentially connects our, you know, our gut and our brain. So there's the whole gut brain connection, but we are more bacteria than we are DNA. We have like a 10 to one ratio of bacterial cells in the body to DNA cells. We have about 23,000 genes in the body, roughly. Um, our gut microbiome has about 8 million genes. So they, I always say, you know, we give them a place to live and they keep us alive. They influence everything from, you know, producing things like, you know, 90% of our serotonin is made in our gut, 30% of our dopamine is made in our gut. Um, there's also now a whole new field of research called psychobiotics. So the ability of our gut health and its uh, role in influencing neurotransmitter production and our brain health and neuroinflammation. So inflammation regarding you know the, that whole gut brain connection. So there's a whole lot that's going on with the gut, which makes it very complex and very much so in the neophyte in the beginning phases still because uh, most of the research that we have on probiotics is number one in rats, which that's great, but we're not rats. So there is different, there's really cool research with it talking about like, you know, germ free mice and, you know, taking strains of bacteria that can make them more anxious or le less anxious, having a role in obesity and how we actually extract nutrients. Um, so, you know, that's cool. But again, what people don't realize is that while we have about two thirds of the same bacteria, one third of our bacteria is unique to each individual. So a probiotic strain that works for me is not gonna always work for you. So picking a probiotic can be a very arduous and complex task because we are so individual like anything in life. And so also if you have somebody who has bacteria overgrowth or fungus overgrowth, there are certain strains that can make that worse or if you're drinking kombucha and things like that, that can make your problem a lot worse. So you also have to consider that fact going in. Um, but po probiotics actually work more so, like I said, people think it works like, oh, I take this probiotic and it's got 1000 CFUs, colony forming units, and that's great. And I'm going to grow new bacteria. And that's actually not what the research is in at all. If you go and look at a lot of the research, what they're doing is they're studying very specific strains. 
We have about a thousand different strains of bacteria in our GI tract alone. We have like 50 different strains of bacteria in our mouth. We have like 60 different strains in the vaginal tract. Like, so we have different strains throughout our entire body. So trying to figure out what strain works best for you at your current time of your life, depending on things like, did you have a C-section birth? Were you vaginally birthed? Was your mom stressed out when she was pregnant with you? Because that there's a lot of research that talks about how that can affect your gut microbiome. How really? many antibiotics have you taken in your life? Yeah, like over-the-counter medications. So all of that goes into what probiotic is going to work best for you. Again, not just marketing puffery. Here's 50, 50 billion CFUs, like you're on your way and that's it. Like it does take a lot of trial and error. And on top of that, probiotics are expensive. So people also need to kind of take a step back and see like, why are they taking a probiotic in the first place? What are they hoping to get out of the probiotic and how long do they want to be on it and how long have they been on their current probiotic? Because these are all factors that can affect what your next step is going to be. So I always suggest to people, number one, um, especially, you know, if you are eating a lot of sugar, if you've taken over the counter medications like Tylenol, Advil, birth control, um, antibiotics, of course, they say by the time a kid is 18 that they've had 17 rounds of antibiotics. And a one five-day course of antibiotics can wipe up to about a fifth of your gut microbiome. So think about that. I mean, I used to take antibiotics when I was a kid before we really knew like what the issue was with that. And on the flip side of that, we're now seeing what we have called the hygiene hypothesis where everybody's afraid of germs, right? So everything is antimicrobial soap and antibacterial this and what's happening is we're developing like a soft immune system and this is why everybody's getting sick and they're actually resistant to so, these bacteria there was a 30-year study that was just wrapped up on and the number one reason for child uh, leukemia was antibacterial um elements the number one reason soaps antibiotic uh rubs, whatever, antibiotics, the number one was because of that, which is fucking incredible. Yeah. It's really, really interesting because having like lack of microbial diversity or essentially meaning that we just because we've taken, let's say, antibiotics or we're using anti, we're afraid of germs. So I always joke, I'm like, make germs cool again, because when we're afraid of that, we don't have this diverse range of bacteria because we have so much bacteria in our body, then they're finding that later in life, these kids are actually having more adversity with their immune system health. They're having more allergies. They're having just a weaker innate response from the immune system, which is essentially like our body's first responders that come to the immune system. Um, and they're even showing like kids who grow up on things like farms or people who wash their dishes with a sponge as opposed to a dishwasher have more microbial diversity and actually have stronger immune systems later in life. Or like kids growing up, you know, like around animals and stuff like that or playing in the dirt. Like, and it's really interesting because now we see like kids don't go outside and play anymore. Like, you know, no one's you're on your computer all day and you're not in the sun and, you know, you're washing your hands every five seconds and whatever it is. So rebuilding your gut flora and then also reestablishing the integrity of your gut lining is also very important because a lot of our stress and lifestyle can also break down that lining, which is only one cell layer thick. So it's a very, very uh, like it's a permeable and it's very sensitive. So. There's a lot of factors that can go into actually having a healthy gut flora, which goes way beyond just taking a probiotic. I always say you can't probiotic your way out of a shitty diet and shitty lifestyle. That's very true. Agreed. And then also mothers who are today, I think, increasingly less. They're decreasing the amount of breastfeeding 
that's going on. So now they're putting their kids on formula right out of the womb. And I feel like that has a huge, a huge role. Um, there are a lot of hormones that we get from the mother. And then also um, like some endogenous cannabinoids, which we're noticing now, which help with regulating all of the bodily processes. And we're just scratching the surface on that. And the fact that we have our own endogenous system of a system we didn't even know, and we pass that through the, through, uh, through breastfeeding, uh, it's just, we're missing all these elements in the formulas that we're, we're giving our kids. And now these kids are growing up without the tools necessary to, you know, live a healthy life. And they're already at a, a disadvantage right out, you know, um, do you do a lot of study on the endocannabinoid system? I love the endocannabinoid system because it's <laughs> so interesting because it's literally something that is like, again, still, I think, in the neophyte phases and marketing is definitely taking it to the next extreme. But we literally have like receptors in our brain and for like in the CB1 receptors in our brain and the CB2 receptors like in our GI tract and, you know, in our liver and all these other pathways. So it's like so interesting. It works the same way almost how adaptogens work in the body. So I think that we're going to be seeing a lot more research, hopefully with that, with pharmaceutical industry not getting too involved with that. But I think that there's so much potential for that and helping people with, you know, everything from modulating the immune system to modulating the stress response and even, you know, helping to just increase, you know, just overall like quality of life. So I think it's like super exciting stuff. Yeah, because on the rise now, there's increasing allergies in kids. So I work with a lot of pediatric offices and the increased demand for peanut panels and allergy panels has it's just it's so obvious. I mean, I've been in the industry for about five years now and it's ramped up exponentially. Uh, it's one of our most uh, you it's one of our most purchased tests from our pediatric offices. So I'm wondering if that has anything to do with now these new, with this new overload of formula and the lack of exercise and the lack of vitamin D in kids and all these different, I mean, not that the vitamin D has changed much before, but a lot more kids are inside on iPads and not out um, playing with their friends and doing things like we used to do. I mean, just a couple of years ago. So all these lifestyle choices now at, from just early now we're getting diabetes earlier everything's just starting to slowly slip well now there's a towards... new term child onset diabetes yeah i don't even know why like, they use that because they're gonna have to republish a new name after that I mean, infant diabetes bro, so it's just never, gonna go back there's never so, child diabetes now there's like, only can you I, fucking imagine oh you, you don't have to you just so gotta look sad. out your window you'll see them you know <laughs> it is real it's so sad because it's like and a lot of it does start actually with the mom and how, you know, even the how the birth is of the mother, like how their pregnancy is. So there's like a lot of good research that talks about, you know, how stressed out the mom is, obviously, and how that can affect the nutrient like availability for the child, but also their gut microbiome. Um, also, obviously, whatever the mom is eating, right, like the baby is going to be having via, you know, breastfeeding or, you know, through the placenta. So there's there's good research that talks about moms who have low levels of like DHA and EPA um, can have more things like postpartum afterwards. So like because that influences so much of our brain health and again, the inflammation pathways as well. So like just even the diet and the stress level of the mom alone can affect the baby and you have no you have no influence that you're chilling in the womb, like just hoping to come into like, a, you know, the chilling. world you're and chilling. then you're just chilling, right? Like you're just taking a nap, like, you know, and then your mom is like super stressed out and life happens and 
we live in this highly toxic world now, right? Like with all the, you know, environmental chemicals and unfiltered water and how many, you know, uh, products that women put on their skin and in their hair and the same thing for men. So they're finding even like, you know, BPA plastic and what they're finding toxins in about 93% of the umbilical cords of these children. Like you just came into the world, like fresh into the world, which is crazy. So, you know, it's an uphill battle. Like you said, just, you know, like getting out there and living life. So, so I actually wanted to hit one one thing really quick that you just brought up. So with water, there's this big craze around pH water and high pH water and how beneficial it is and they, people feel great after it. I don't know much about it. I've done research, but I, I can't get interested enough in it because I just can't find myself saying every time I consume water, it must be this pH water. Like It's just too inconvenient yeah. for me. Um, is do you find any uh, validity in that? Do you stand by it? Do you do it yourself? I mean, I drink pH water just because I it's just like what I buy. But as far as and the same thing, I've tried to find like hard research on pH water specifically, and there's really not anything. I think there's a big placebo effect going around with it because I've actually had clients tell me like every time I drink pH water, I feel so great. Mm -hmm. There's obviously validity to pH balance in the body and like optimizing, you know, like net, you know, alkalinity in the body overall. Um, but I think that there's probably more benefits from things like adding trace minerals to your water and like even things like the fulvic acid water and stuff like that, like the black water, which has, again, some more of those uh, like ionic minerals and things like that, I think could be more beneficial than I'm not really sure if pH water does anything to affect your pH at all. So I just drink it because, you know, it, it's everywhere in California and, um, you know, our water is pretty water. California actually has some of the most toxic water out there. So um, even if you're like using a water filtration system. So I don't think that the long term studies on pH water are really out there yet. But you know, if you like it, and you think it works for you, definitely, it's not going to hurt your health. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I expected, because I, yeah. I don't see much benefit myself. Uh, my my family went through a little craze of, you know, constantly bringing this five gallon water jug, this glass water jug to the place to get filled, then fill up their own gallon glass jug. I was like, you know how much of a liability that glass jug is? Like, you know, walk around <laughs> with this giant fish 30 to fry pound. in the health industry. Exactly. Because yeah, it's so totally. easy. You know, it's such a simple thing. People yeah. are like, well, I got to get water. I might as well get healthy water. I'm going to get this supercharged yeah. effect. Right. And uh, I think it's I just you your nonstick pan in the kitchen and, like, stop putting your hot food in plastics and using a microwave. Like, let's start there maybe. And then you can worry about your pH water later. You know, I think that yeah. there's – you got to meet – you have to meet yourself where you are in your health journey. So if you're somebody who's, like, 90 pounds overweight – and your, you know, inflammatory markers on your blood panel are like through the roof and you're eating McDonald's and you want to start and be like, yeah, I'm going to get pH water today. Like, is that where we should start? Probably <laughs> not. Like, let's be realistic and take a step back. And I think that's what people do as well, because it's really hard to work on. I think the lifestyle pieces for people, I see this with my clients all the time. Like nutrition is such a small part of what we talk about, or even supplements, like people want you know, this, this supplement protocol and a meal plan and whatever it is. And I'm like, dude, that's so easy. People can follow that left and right. But I'm like, are you going to sleep? Are you like cutting off pro-inflammatory people in your life? Are you like walking outside yeah, and grounding and everything? Like people don't want to do that shit. They just want to follow. And that's why people just keep hopping from, you know, practitioner, practitioner. And oh, what's that? Notification culture, they don't get what they want. Sorry, you, you just, you just cut, cut out, out there. That was weird for like five seconds, but then came in super strong. Okay. 
I wish I knew. Coming in hot. Yeah. Well, it's probably the Wi-Fi because you're coming in it through could. Wi-Fi Skype, you know. So if the service goes oh. out, that probably cuts you out. But yes, I couldn't agree with you more because we live in a society where everyone wants the quick fix. Like, what pill will heal me? What pill will give me the vitamin D? That's all I need. I don't need to... Because it's simple. It's super simple to just get the quick fix for something. But that, unfortunately, that's not really how true health works. Yeah, and they think that there are direct correlations between those things. Like, I will get healthier. Like, as if they have a little health meter, and then it just bloop. It goes up from just eating the apple that day and then a little bit of water instead of a soda, bloop, and then that's yeah. it. That I have a 15% increase in my health if I drink pH water and if I go vegan, it's yeah. an 85%. Like, it's just not going to work that way. It needs to be this holistic approach. And holistic, not to use that word too loosely because that word is kind of dangerous for some people. It's a little foofy. Um, but to go approach your health with intention. And then as you approach things with intention, you care about the objective truth. You don't care about like how this will look on my Instagram page or how this will sound to my coworkers. I'm going to posture on them and say, I'm doing something better for myself. And then you just, you're showing that you're doing better instead of actually doing better because our core values in society are very clickbaity, uh, just side, uh, bite-sized chunks of things. And my perception of you is a, a little, maybe five second clip of you or a picture of you in your best light. And like, if you show that you're healthy, at least that'll validate you. And now you will be healthy. Your body will be tricked by the marketing that you're, you're ensuing on the public here. And it's not, it's not true. It's bullshit. And if you, you approach your health with intent, you'll find all these inefficiencies in your lifestyle. And then you'll learn from there instead of learning from an article that you're not interested in or learning from people talking and not actually caring about the results, but more looking for how can I use this to appear better? Um, and I feel like that, that has been one of the issues that we face here. Um, totally. And people just like not sticking to one philosophy for long enough to even give their body time to adapt and adjust to whatever changes they're trying to make and just like letting their body even listen. People don't even know how to listen to their bodies anymore. You know, like starting out with like, what really is the problem or what happened in my life before I got really unwell? People can't even think back that far because it's that whole allopathic approach of here's my problem. I want to fix it now. So I'll take this supplement. And people think just because they're taking a supplement that that's a healthier way where it's pretty much it's not much different than taking an over the counter medication where we're not taking a step back to say, why is this happening in the first place? And that's a big problem for people, I think, in general right now. Mm, totally agree. And it's because it could be some of it being laziness, but I doubt that that's too blanket. That's too, it's kind of the same way. It's calling those people lazy is like them looking at health and saying probiotics are healthy. It's, it's not the end all, but it's, there's a lot. It's a very, very intense journey. It's a very steep uphill climb to try to be healthy today. On top of the fact that the things that are advertised as healthy, I was about to say you're bombarded with everything. It's just, it's the issue of choice and that people have so many options and now they have to wade through the options that contradict each other. And now you, you don't trust anybody. So now you just go with instinct. So, well, there has yeah, to be a lot of um, frustrating for most people than it is anything like it's, you know, even for me, this is like, like I said, this is my life. I do this every day. And you know, when I've had my own health issues in the past too, you're kind of like, I don't know, there's so much information out there. I have this symptom and I have this, so maybe this is what's wrong with me. And it's like, it is really hard. And, people are just inundated with a lot of this, you know, like science, whether it's bro science, real science, ho science, like we don't know. So it's also taking a step back and assessing all of that. 
but also assessing yourself and again, where you are in your health journey and what you're going to be able to do realistically to maintain those changes slowly but surely. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. And I also had one final written question. Um, I recently started doing a lot of research on Justin as well in sauna therapy and intense heat regulation therapy. So whether it be on the heat side or the cold side and the benefits that we get from those and uh, just to go into a little bit more detail about those. So for us, we've been doing, at least I have 25 minutes of sauna a day Mm -hmm. after every one of my workouts for about 20 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes at about 170 to 190 degrees. And that's been just, it's been amazing for me complete game with uh, recovery and joint pain joint pain specifically um and we read that study that said that there was an increase of human growth hormone in in 40 year old men um that went on a a two-week regiment of doing an hour sauna session a day which is intensive but just for the study was a 1600 percent increase in hgh hell yeah (laughs) that's that's unheard of yeah, there's definitely a lot of benefits to red light therapy and even just, you know, the hot and cold contrast, like as you guys were talking about. Obviously, um, liver detoxification, this is a huge one too. Most people think of our detoxification system as like just the liver, but we also have things like our skin, right, which is like a huge way to get toxins out of the body, um, you know, and like some of our other organs sweating. And that's why like working out is also really good for us. So sauna therapy is really great for not only supporting liver detoxification, but also for our lymphatic system, which is our body's largest circulatory system. Um, and also for increasing things like growth hormone, um, decreasing again, some of those inflammatory cytokines that we have in our body, which again, can lead to things like feeling fatigued and, um, slow recovery from the gym. There's really good research that talks about sauna therapy for, you know, brain growth factor as well. Um, decreasing some of our stress hormones. So things like cortisol and epinephrine and non-epinephrine, um, even adrenaline. So I think for overall, just, you know, like helping the body just chill more is really good just for, you know, I think overall health. And it's one of those things where you don't have to really do much and you can just go and chill and relax, which I think has benefits in itself for actually activating, you know, that rest and digest system of our body, like that parasympathetic nervous system as well. So um, definitely good for that. And even for helping to balance out testosterone levels, which women need testosterone as well, very important for, you know, our libido and for muscle growth. So um, I say if you have access to a sauna, definitely get yourself in there. Um, and there's a lot of good research even for people who have like mercury and mold toxicity as well, again, because it ha- is helping to support um, that excretion of toxins because your body does a really good job of trapping those toxins and, you know, making it go from phase one to phase two so your body can get rid of it. But you actually have to excrete those toxins out and sweating is a really good way to do that as well. Awesome. And also, uh, yeah, so intermittent fasting has been a giant uh there's a wave of intermittent fasting over the past six years that at least i've been i've been engulfed six in it. no for it's me been, for me six okay. years so it's i was just, gonna say it's been it really hot for like one year yeah so for if the even. six years that i've i've known about it, it it ramped up exponentially just like childhood allergies it's same same thing <laughs> just this giant sweep of uh of new yeah. craze around this and the uh the so the cellular... downfall of it that i see is people are taking intermittent fasting to lose weight. And what they do is they just don't eat for whatever it may be, 16 hours. But then when they do eat, it's just their normal shit food. They're like, oh, I'm intermittent fasting. I'm losing a lot of weight. 
and it's like oh and then you under eat all your calories too in the in your window <laughs> and it's just like you were fucking yourself up by so, doing that so just to jump on that before we get into deep science i used to do that myself i was heavily addicted i had a i had just had this uh i, I want to call it a how uh, long are we talking how long ago what's that how long ago uh, this was this? six years ago oh okay so I had a yeah eating disorder d- definitely because in order to get in shape I I needed to somehow regulate my my food consumption so I had this right. thing where I thought I was eating healthy but also binging in a productive way because I'm intermittent fasting I was addicted to tropical trail mix which <laughs> tropical trail mix has the staple papaya dried papaya dried pineapple a nut assortment of some kind <laughs> and, and M and M's right. No, no, no. No, it didn't. It was healthy stuff. Okay, so sugar-coated fruit was healthy. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Yes, for me. And then sliced mangoes. Those, and then whatever other fruit you want to throw in, throw in raisins. If it was dried fruit, it was fruit, which is healthy. And I'm intermittent fasting, so fruit, nuts. I have protein. I have fats. I have my sugars. I'm good. Let's do this. So every single night. I, I worked at uh, in LA Fitness. I would go to the Walmart right across the street and buy a giant True Value. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, something value. I think it's True Value or True Value. Great Value. Great Value. Yeah. I think it's great. Oh, somebody will uh, uh, will correct me. But uh, it was Great Value bag, a giant uh, bag of those. And then I'd go to, as my addiction increased, I would go to Fairway and get dried kiwi, dried strawberry, dried blueberries. And uh, uh, these strips of mango, because it didn't come in the bag that they gave me. So every single night I would sit down and just binge eat and watch TV after a long, like, 18 to 20 hour fast. I would just binge eat peanuts, almonds, and there was another nut in there. I forgot what it was. Um, Peanut, almond, cashew, and then all those, those fruits. And I would just, I, I threw them in a five, ga- uh, five pound protein bottle, uh, protein shaker, and just shook it up. Uh, then just dug my hand in there and would go to town. Oh, and bananas. The, the, Ooh, yeah, the bananas yeah. too. So I had this addiction and I just thought, okay, I'm just going to compile all this food into one small chunk of eating. And th- that's how I'll do it. I'll do it from this point on. And I, all I was doing was masking an eating disorder. That's all I was doing. And subconsciously, I had no, it was all subconscious. I had no idea that I was doing this. Um, so then as time went on, I was like, I'm not seeing results. I'm actually getting fatter from this um, and I don't have energy for the gym and this went on for about two months three months and then I, I just said I'm going to ditch intermittent fasting and I didn't think about the health the health didn't matter at all at the time I was just trying to get ripped and so I was trying to find new, new ways yeah right so then I went to the six meals a day bullshit and I, I thought that would work but then it was too much cooking and I just realized that I had my own issue My it wasn't the diets that I was choosing it was just the fact that I had my own my own issues to take care of, but we got over that and intermittent fasting has now become a health related and a fat loss related topic. And yeah. now I'm way more interested in it than I ever was for the health reasons. And uh, it's clear as day that you feel them. But uh, if you want to go into the science about cellular autophagy and what that means, yeah. well, the how- real benefits of intermittent fasting yeah. and how you should you specifically use it. And while you start that, I'm running to the bathroom. Sorry, guys. Be right back. Yeah, so that's always been my issue with intermittent fasting is that people, I think, use it. And I see this a lot with women, but men, too, as a as an acceptable form of having an eating disorder where they just say, I'm not going to eat anything and that's fine. And then when they have their feeding window, then 
they just go to town and they eat like a fat ass. So mm-hmm. there's definitely different ways to fast. And there are some people who should not be fasting. Like obviously if you're pregnant, you should not be fasting. Um, if you are somebody who has dysregulated cortisol issues going on, fasting is probably not going to be great for you. But there are also a lot of good benefits for people who have, you know, things like, you know, there's the original research started with people who have seizures and things like that. Um, insulin dysregulation and all that kind of stuff. So there are benefits if you're doing it the right way. And I think people should start slowly with fasting. So if you're really new to it, maybe do just, you know, have dinner, your your last meal at maybe like 6 p.m. and do like a 12-hour fast and have breakfast at like 6 a.m. So you could do that. You don't have to go and fast for 24 hours or whatever. Um, and you could do that maybe once a week or twice a week or so on and so forth. Or make, you know, there's the stop, go, stop, go um, theory as well, where you, you know, feed for 18 or you fast for 18 hours and then feed in the rest of the time. So you also have to be smart about how you're fasting. And again, what kind of, you know, issues, health issues you have going in and what your relationship with food is before going into fasting. So all of those factors need to be checked off first. And then you can say like, okay, I'm going to give fasting a go. Um, But like how you said, there's definitely benefits as far as like program cell death. So essentially where some of these cells say like, you know, we're not supposed to be hanging out here any longer. Like you see a lot of this with cancer research and they talk about apoptosis, which is again, is that program cell death or like that autophagy where the cells go around and they gobble up essentially dead debris and dead um, like immune complexes and things like that and escort that out of the system. There's really good research with like BDNF growth. So again, brain growth as well, helping to regulate insulin and leptin receptors in the body. So um, regulating blood glucose. But again, I think that that's a very fine line because if you're somebody who has dysregulated blood glucose levels from other issues, maybe um, because you have a lot of excessive uh, stress hormones in the body, then fasting might not be the best for you. Um, And then there are some people who have shown, you know, increase in testosterone, increase in growth hormone, um, again, regulation of some of these other hormones as well. But again, for women, it seems to be the opposite. A lot of times we see more issues with estrogen and progesterone and missed periods sometimes. Um, So I think it depends, again, on kind of where you are. Um, I've seen more success with it personally with men for some reason. And again, I think it might go back to some of the the body image issue stuff and hormone regulation and things like that. Um, But there are definitely really good benefits. I'm not the kind of person who could fast. I am like the worst person to be around if I'm hungry. I can't do anything if I'm hungry. Like I will eat an entire meal like five seconds before I work out and like a minute before I like work on a project. So like for because I've also had a lot of adrenal issues and cortisol issues like from my younger years when I was in grad school and stuff like that. Um, where I've seen, you know, guys, like I said, who feel really good, they have more mental clarity, um, you know, like they, they feel better. So I think it kind of listening to your body is also really important. And just because it worked for somebody doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And you can also try it at later stages of your life. I've had clients who they've tried fasting, you know, a few years prior when they were maybe in a more stressed out state or they didn't have other pieces like their sleep wasn't great and things like that and then they tried fasting again later and it worked for them so i think try out start small um like i said maybe skip breakfast or skip dinner and then kind of build from there awesome advice i love it now i'm curious it just popped into my head but what's your diet like like what's a day Uh, of eating for for brianna 
I feel like I eat like all day. I know people ask me this question a lot. Um, I mean, obviously I focus, I, I post a lot about plant compounds. So like I'm, oh, I think the one of the easiest things to do is shove all the things you can in your ninja bullet. Like, so, you know, like smoothies that are healthy um, and eat like a really big salad every day. And this does not mean like go to Whole Foods and get like the That's fried chips that are there. Yeah, like don't get, don't go and put all like the fatty dressings and the fried whatever and dried fruit that stuff adds up quickly as well but you know eating um i eat a lot of salad like fruits and vegetables um i eat meat people ask me all the time if i'm vegan i'm not um so we like good quality you know like turkey and grass-fed beef i eat eggs i eat oatmeal ezekiel toast in the morning potatoes i eat a lot of potatoes um i sweet potatoes or potatoes y'all here white potatoes purple potatoes (laughs) you gotta get those anthocyanins in you know those are very so when you say Um, purple potatoes are those those like little blue ones yeah like the inside is blue okay because there's korean sweet potatoes you ever have those where it's purple skin on the outside but white on the inside no well you better start doing it and did you hear (laughs) so good uh, they're so good mexican sweet potatoes i think the increased testosterone. I don't know. Have you heard of that? I mean, I, no? I haven't, but I'm all okay. about that potato life. So um, <laughs> there's so many things you can I do mean, with potatoes. You know, there's so they're really like literally everything, so like versatile. vodka, French fries, whatever. So, um, but I'm also a very big proponent of having balance in your life too, right? So like not depriving yourself, and I think that also. Ah, uh, damn it! Hold on. You cut out. Out. Cut out. Again? Your voice is gone. There you go. You're back. All right. So you're not a big proponent. You're a big proponent of balance and go. Um, also, <laughs> everybody who knows me, I love fish tacos because of the omega-3 fatty acids in there. So wild caught fish is going to be really good. Uh, it's really hard to get vitamin D from food, but wild caught fish is a good source of vitamin D. And again, the EPA and DHA is super important for our brain health, for mood regulation, for those prostaglandins, which regulate um, you know, inflammation in the body as well. So wild caught fish. Um, and then I have a sweet tooth. And, you know, so I, I'll eat like, you know, froyo from time to time. Or Uh-oh. if I'm back on the East Coast, like, yeah, I'll have like cannolis and things like that. So you got to have right balance. There. You lost all credibility right there. We're going to wrap this up, guys. <laughs> no, but Sorry, the, you got to have the, balance, you know? You're 100% right. You're 100% right. Because I've honestly, I will have to admit myself, I get into these like very, very uh, Regiment. sharp, regimented spouts where i just i i i will be less happy if i ate shitty food and by shitty i mean just one meal than if i just stayed regimented and i feel like i i express that too much and people feel uncomfortable around me sometimes even my own girlfriend she's like oh, yeah, she- i want I, I want fruit is that okay fruit fruit's good okay that's good, so good, funny good. that and you like, say she that she was his jen his girlfriend she was nervous to drink a starbucks coffee around him because she didn't want him to like say anything because like, I, I heard paul check talk about cortisol. It's so funny yeah i heard uh paul check on uh what where was he he was on mind pump and he was talking about uh women who drink coffee in the morning uh how they're just kind of exploding the adrenaline rush and they're they're demanding so much of their body and the half-life of caffeine uh, how it just trickles into your sleep and you lose sleep and it it messes with females and their hormones. So I was just like, mm, stop, because she'll take like pre-workouts and things like that. And I'm like, these aren't good for you. Like you're, you're not going to feel good, but I was just getting too much, you know? And uh, yeah. I was like, that is not healthy. So that is bad. It was, it was just white and black, uh, black and white, you know? Yeah. So, 
But, you know, it's uh, funny. I actually, because when I did the Czech um, Institute, he Paul Czech came to the second day of the certification, and he the conversation was about caffeine, actually, and he had just walked in at the time, and he was, like, talking about how when he was writing his book and all the stuff, he was, like, addicted to coffee, and then he was, like, realizing it was, like, making him jacked up, so then he switched to espresso, and then he would still, like, have espresso from time to time, but there's actually a lot of really good benefits to caffeine, and not just coffee, but, like, the caffeic acid that's found in caffeine and the chlorogenic acid and some of these other plant compounds, so um, I'm definitely not giving up espresso. I'm Italian. This body was built on, like, espresso and Sunday sauce and, pasta, and sarcasm, hell yeah. So. Hell yeah. yeah. And I'm not also, giving that up anytime soon. But uh, ways to consume your coffee that would be more beneficial. So do you pair them with a fat, like a, like a no, coconut oil, MCT? Coffee? The bulletproof, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. grass-fed butter and MCT. Or uh, no. I'm a fan of drinking my coffee black. And organic coffee is one of the most heavily sprayed yes. pesticides. Yep. So definitely organic. Um, I make mine an espresso maker, but if you are using a coffee maker, making sure that you're using unbleached coffee uh, filters as well. Um, so getting like the brown ones is going to be important. Um, but I am not a fan of, uh, the bulletproof coffee. I don't think anybody needs to be putting butter in their coffee. Like if you want to do that, fine, but you can also cook your vegetables and butter and that can increase the carotenoid absorption of things like lycopene and you know other plant compounds so i think there's other ways to if you're doing it because you really like it cool that's great but if you're doing it because you think it's healthy like you don't need to be drinking your coffee like that um and then obviously being aware of if you're adding a lot of sugar um if you're using milk and things like that you know if you're drinking multiple cups of coffee a day like if you use one packet of sugar and some milk like is it going to kill you no but if you're having five cups a day then yeah that's going to add up quickly so just being aware of that as well so i would say organic black coffee or espresso um if you can and they they say that darker roast coffees tend to have a little bit higher of antioxidants and their ability to recycle things like glutathione and vitamin e so um, I'm personally am a fan of dark roast coffee as well. So, so now, go. well, I'm I curious go as to it. what you were educated on for the butter in so, the coffee, because I know you're a big proponent of that. Yeah, just because of the flavor. So I don't like the sugar aspect, so I need something else. So I'll go to the fats. Um, so I'll use healthy sources like uh, Onnit MCT, and then I'll use Kerrygold grass-fed butter, and then I'll put stevia in there, uh, just because okay. that, it tastes really good. Um, but it also delayed the caffeine absorption. And I didn't feel that rush. I didn't feel that because I would do it. So strategically, I would do it on a fasted stomach and then I would drink right. my coffee. But when I would do it with black coffee, I would get this really intense adrenal spike. Like I would I'd sweat. I'd get very, very antsy and kind of anxious. And yeah. I didn't like it. It was too much. But then once I added the calories in there, it prolonged the absorption and made it feel like it was a meal disguised as a coffee and it just it, it worked very well for me because i didn't i'm very sensitive to caffeine so especially fasted yeah. it was just and then i also told i was told that it would mess with the lining of your stomach and it would uh the acids and i really didn't care much about the science because i liked it with the fats i was like all right if you're on my team like i'm just gonna go with it so yeah you know, I think it depends it how you're consuming your coffee or for what reasons. I know a lot of people who do the fasting and stuff like that. It helps them with the fast and having the MCTs and, you know, some of the, the research again on like BDNF growth and concentration and all that good stuff, blunting the adrenaline response. I just drink coffee, honestly, because I love it. I could drink espresso and go to sleep. Like it has no effect oh on God. me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it has no effect. I don't Wait, drink how coffee. How, to, like, how many milligrams of caffeine do you do you take daily? 
I mean, because I'm know, up there. I guess I'm up there, so I'm curious about you. Pro I mean, I probably have at least two or three Americanos a day. So that's, you know, a couple so hundred milligrams of coffee. So it's just like espresso with water. Okay. Um, so anywhere between like 70 to 150 milligrams, depending, I guess, on kind of. Mm. Um, there was actually, I was just reading an article the other day. He was talking about how Starbucks coffee, like the way that they roast their beans, actually, that has more caffeine in it than like other roasts of coffee. I mean, I don't support Starbucks. Was it a slow for a roast? Reasons, but a slow roast, right? I, yeah, I don't know if it's yeah. a slow roast yeah. or whatever it is, but they actually have more like caffeine in it, like per whatever, I guess, serving than other coffee beans. So I don't know. I just get some other like organic coffees, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, but when I had adrenal issues and I tell this to clients too, like if you are somebody who has adrenal issues and dysregulated cortisol and all that kind of stuff going on, should we decrease coffee for a bit? Sure. And maybe have a meal first or something else. So your blood sugar isn't as affected. So I totally get it again with the MCTs and that for that reason. But I just drink coffee again, because I love the antioxidants in it. You know, like the, like I said, all the other plant compounds that are in it. Um, and just, I like love a good cup of like steaming hot coffee, but I could literally fall asleep and drink coffee. That is crazy. Yeah, How much do you It definitely makes sense. Well, my pre-workout on its own, which I drink every morning is 300 milligrams or is it 350 <laughs> uh it's, it's 300 milligrams that's the only caffeine i'll drink throughout the day but sometimes at night i'd say maybe two or three times a week more like two i'll have an espresso so it adds on another yeah. 70 to 100 so I'm, I'm clocking in like 450 you know 350 500 daily but like daily. Well, it's interesting because a, a lot of the research, though, that talks about coffee and its benefits of like decreasing overall, like all all cause mortality and supporting cardiovascular health and recycling antioxidants and liver support and all this good stuff. Um, it's a it's studying about five cups of coffee a day. So around like 500 milligrams of coffee. So you're on the right track, you know, Cap and that's what people don't realize. Don't tell me that because I'm going to keep yeah. I'm gonna fucking be like, double it up. People don't realize that it's not just coffee. Like it's caffeine and ca caffeine is a plant compound. Just like, again, how chlorogenic acid is a, is a plant compound, phenolytic acid, caffeic acid. These are plant compounds that are found in coffee. Just like green tea has the EGCG, like that's a plant compound that's found in green tea. But there's also caffeine in there. So caffeine itself is actually very beneficial for our health. It's not necessarily the, the uh, you know, compounds or the antioxidants that are found well, yeah. in certain... It's everything else we things. add to it that makes it garbage for you. Right. The right. French That's vanilla. Dude, I was addicted to French vanilla creamer. Oh, my God. Yeah. It would be... The cup would be 75% French vanilla creamer and 25% <laughs> coffee. Oh, That's God. the only way yeah, I could God, drink it. I would go, go to 7-Eleven and just be school. like... Yeah. Like pour me yeah. up. All I have is like the best French vanilla creamer and I used to be addicted. And I just, I like, like I said, I just like black coffee. Like I, that's how my mom always knows when I come home actually, because I always will make her make me a fresh cup of coffee, but I only like it when it's like really hot in the first few sips. And then I have like half drank cups of coffee, like all around oh my, my like condo all the time. So it's really funny. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. No, I used to do that with a uh, half, uh, when I used to go to school at Hofstra over here. Um, I used to pass a Starbucks every time I would just get a black, a venti black. And, you know, I would do that in combination with, you know, my other little amphetamines. And I was off to the races at that point. I mean, it was black oh. and I, I, yeah. And it was, it was very, very intense. The, uh, yeah. 
the rush you get from and when like I was black competing coffee and like starving myself that's what I would do like in between meals when I was like counting down like the hours in between my next meals I was like I'll just have another coffee and I'll put sugar-free sweetener in it and I was just like making my adrenal issues like 1,000 times worse so that backfired in my face for sure so all of the elements you're saying of coffee that were beneficial are those considered alkaloids yeah, so they're just plain. Com- they fall under like the phenolytic acid compound. There's like twenty five thousand different plant compounds that have been studied. But so alkaloids are one of the plant compounds that are found in phenolytic, the phenolytic compound family. So it's kind of like a umbrella of plant compounds. Got it. So they're but not. But that's a... what's studied a lot for the benefits. Got it. So the, uh, an alkaloid is not in and of itself a beneficial compound, but it is just a classification of compounds. Correct. Yeah, it's just okay. the chemical structure. Got it. Okay, because there's uh there's this new uh this new crate not crate I don't even call it crate because it's not that heavily ad- uh, adopted yet. But uh, Justin and I have recently started using kratom or kratom. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of? I don't know. Okay. Really? So if you ever if you want to get like a a full Spark Notes understanding of it, a leaf of faith on Netflix, uh, they okay. they go into deep uh, they go into deep uh. I'll text, research, I'll text it over to you. I'll text it to you. They go into detail about it, and it's a, it's this, it's from Malaysia or from mm-hmm. Indonesia. It's this plant compound that's in the same. It's a plant that's in the same uh, family as coffee, and it has certain alkaloids in there that help stimulate dopamine and kind of keep you sharp. And we just took some right before this podcast, and it's it's, it's like coffee but tame. And it it has anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, when I exercise, when I'm on it, it, there's such a an obvious decrease in fatigue, like joint pain, and yeah. uh, it, they bind to opiate receptors as well. There's a bunch of compounds in there as well that that bind to opiate receptors, and it's just been nothing but positive for me. There's no hangover. There's no side effects. I don't know, obviously, what chronic uses or the sources that we're getting it from. If there's any lingering heavy metals or anything that could be just not related to the kratom itself, but in manufacturing processes. Um, that would be my only guess as to what could be bad about it. Um, but we've been seeing such great results. And what what we liked about it for the energy was supposed to be these alkaloids that they found, but they weren't, they specified, but they're super scientific, the names. But I just wanted to know if you heard about Kratom. No, that's interesting though, because I'd also be, there's a lot of research that talks about like caffeine pre-workout and its ability to obviously help with post-exercise, like, you know, soreness and oxygen consumption. But if you take coffee post-workout, it can actually downregulate your ability for mTOR, right? Like, so to actually, you know, synthesize new muscles and increase protein synthesis. So I would wonder if that kind of has more beneficial effects like post-workout with the caffeine and things like that too. I'm definitely going to nerd out on that. I heard about that actually. I heard about that exactly, about our glucose uptake, Mm -hmm. Uh, muscle glycogen uptake, sorry. There was uh, like these four categories. I heard it on a podcast. I kind of heard it in passing. I was doing stuff while I was in the background, so I didn't go into depth about it. But now that you bring that up, they're saying post post workout caffeine was this you know this uh-huh. new this new uh, breakthrough in recovery. Yeah. So I started. I'm gonna have to like look at this look. new plant compound for sure. I love plant compounds, so I'm excited to nerd out on this. Yeah, one. No, so is it like a powder or what is it? Like how do you guys take it? It's a powder and then we take it in capsule form cuz it's absolutely unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> By itself it's gross. It's And you just take like you just take it 2 grams. Before 2 you, grams like, is a dosage. So Joe Rogan talks about this. Um if you take it at 2 grams, that's the dosage where 
you're just normal. Yeah, two to three grams. Two to three grams. Um, if you take it at 10 grams, it becomes sedative. Mm, like you get loopy. Yeah, so Justin loopy. and I, one day, we took we had the powder form, and we were trying to make smoothies and trying to come up with a good way to to uh, just make it in a ingestible form that wasn't pill. Because uh, if you were scooping it, you couldn't do it. It'd be like it tastes a cinnamon like just challenge. picking up dirt and your... eating dirt. Like just pure nature. Sounds good. Yeah, no, it's no. gross. No, it's no. gross. Perfect. <laughs> so we made these, uh, and I eyed it. Uh, we made these uh, smoothies. Yeah. We put like, <laughs> cantaloupe, pineapple, all these like very, very intense flavors in there. And just I just like, eyed it. I was like, uh, it's five grams. Yeah, cool. We're good. Way more than that. And we did a podcast. And towards the end of the podcast, I was staring at him. And it was just like getting dark. <laughs> and like it felt like, like I want to say, a pot edible without yeah. okay. the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was like that physical feeling where you physically Yeah, it definitely got a high, little high. But, but it I wasn't like... wasn't anxious. No. So it wasn't like lost. It was just like, I don't really want to talk anymore. But like, I'm cool. I'm calm. Yeah. All my joint pains away. Like, For all the recovering super spazzes like myself, that sounds like it could be very beneficial. So I'm going to have to definitely uh, so look into this. Something that first. Frank glanced right over and didn't talk about. Kratom is actually on the watch list. Uh, what is it? F- oh, yeah. It was, it was illegal. It's on the government watch list. On, no. uh, but, uh, yeah, so it was on the watch list to be listed as a schedule one substance and it was for a while. And then ah. in 2015 or 2016, 16. uh, Joe Rogan had a, well, in 2015, he had the podcast with Mark Bell, who's the author of a leaf of faith. And he had him, uh, he had him on the podcast and Mark Bell was like, there's this petition. You go to something, something.com. And you, if you just put in an electronic signature, we can help pull this off of the watch list and what? make it legal so, or no sorry uh, keep it legal keep it legal and just keep it on a watch list so that it could be sold and distributed within the united states and through joe rogan's following we were actually able to get this thing approved and now what? it's yeah it's legal. and the issue that the government had with it with it it's not an opioid uh it's not a no they can't classify it as an issue. opioid, yeah. but it plays with those receptors. Right, right. Exactly how, I don't remember. But what it does, so basically you take um, Molly, right, MDMA, well, and your okay. serotonin levels and dopamine levels go up here, all the way through right. the roof, right? But with Kratom, it takes those awesome. levels and brings it to its naturally full potential. Okay. So you just feel like. naturally... Like synapses longer kind of thing. Yes, actually, that, yeah. that would be the actual science. So, but what you feel, you feel like you're capped out at a certain level of happiness, but it's like a naturally attainable happiness. Like, it's as if I'm reserving that point in my day that I feel the best, which would be like 1 or 2 p.m. If yeah. I took it at 9 a.m., I would feel that 1 to 2 p.m. energy immediately. But it and, wouldn't be like artificial. coffee family? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's a like leaf. A... They were saying it's in the same... Uh, it's same family as coffee through lineage, but uh, they were saying the alkaloids that are found in it are what give you that that dopaminergic effect. Yeah, and, then and the the issue like the issue is that a lot of people who are addicted to opioids or even oh, Adderall they take kratom and they get off it. It's like the, it's like a natural way to get off of of opioids and pills and all these things. So obviously, who stepped in and tried yeah. to ban it? was big, big pharma exactly yeah. so that's the whole yeah. thing with it but you could buy it at any smoke shop they sell okay. 
Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to definitely look into this because this sounds like really... It's amazing. Uh, I mean, I love like neurotransmitter health and all mm-hmm. these things in general, but that definitely sounds really cool. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely worth giving a try. So we are pushing an hour and 40 minutes right now. So I think it's a good time to wrap up. Yeah. You know, I know we could... I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we could continue talking for hours because health, there's... A thousand, you know, we can hundreds do. of different things to talk you know, about. We can what can do. we do, Frank? We could have you on again. I'd be honored to be on the show again. I have one question though: Are you going to Paleo FX? No, in... no, you're not. Uh, okay. We'll be there. Uh, <laughs> We're gonna be. Have there. you ever We'd been? Love to. No. Do you know what it no? is? I do. Okay. I um. I feel like nowadays, when it first started, it was like really cool and more science heavy, and now I feel like it's kind of like a high school reunion of like the who's who of the paleo world. And I don't know. I also feel like, I mean, I've been, I was just talking to my brother about this a couple of weeks ago. I feel like when you start doing like a lot of research on your own, you guys probably feel this too. It's really hard when you go to conferences and stuff to go and actually learn something that you can take away and that it's credible where it's not just like preaching a gospel of sorts. So like, I am very picky about like conferences and things like that, that I go to, but I think it'd be cool definitely to meet some of like the, trendsetters and see what they're talking about um and like if there's any like new research like i'll definitely want to hear your show notes on that for sure yeah okay yeah no because we were going to go there and just talk to experts in the field and kind of bring the podcast with us Uh, so we were just wondering if you're going to be there because then that would be a great time to have you back on but uh also we could always where are they they holding that and isn't it in like arizona or something Austin. austin texas yeah, Hell so yeah. right near my second home and we'll be uh the honored academy love that uh, so to wrap this up can you give me the top advice you give your clients for overall health the top basic advice mm, the basic advice i would always say is just do less to get more out of your health and get back to the basics so Focus on um, getting to sleep early. So like grandma bedtime, get yourself some sleepy time tea, use blue blockers if you have to. Um, I think another very important thing that people need to start talking more about is um, cutting off pro-inflammatory people and pro-inflammatory thoughts the same way that people cut out like dairy and soy and gluten so quickly. Um, People and energy and thoughts can be very draining and can be really detrimental to your health and also assessing um, past traumas that you've had in your life and how that may be affecting your health. So understanding that it takes really this whole mind-body approach to getting healthy and then like just being less of a spaz. So like go outside and take your shoes off and walk in the dirt or walk in the sand, play in the sun, you know, like do some things that bring you joy and obviously just focus again on the basics don't get so caught up in the minutiae of like is this supplement going to be the best is this diet amazing i went over my macros by five grams like get back to the basics first and then work like get those big picture things and pick one new thing that you want to work on each week you could have 70 things you want to change about your health but pick one thing that you're going to do for seven days straight and then next week you build on that and keep building on that until you make momentum and make changes And think about that big term health of like that goal of like, can I see myself doing this in three months now, six months now, nine months from now? And if you answer no, then you might want to reassess how you're going about making that change or why you're making that change in the first place. Brianna, um, the world needs more of you. 
Yes, it does. More you guys, you guys have a great podcast. I really like. I started back. I started listening from episode one. I'm like kind of obsessed. Oh, like my- no, don't do don't that. Fangirling, do I am. You guys got good stuff out there. No, uh, not in the, the beginning. And the uh. quality is so bad. We d- we didn't know what the fuck we were doing with audio. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's life though. Nobody should come out the gate like a thousand percent. No, of I'm not course, about that. Of course, you know? but like, just don't start under episode <laughs> thirteen. Yeah, okay. I'll skip ahead. <laughs> it was that was bro science slash just horrible audio quality slash bad dynamics. But I appreciate it. But yeah, appreciate that. You. We really appreciate it. This so was... take this time to uh, plug all your stuff. If you have a website, your social media, what your tags are. Yeah, I keep it pretty simple. Uh, my website is just briannadiorio.com, and then my Instagram handle is briannadiorio, uh, and my Facebook fan page is briannamaxdiorio. So. Just me, all around. Um, I pretty much just talk about nutrition and fitness and fish tacos and like vitamin D all day long. That's like pretty much the gist of my account. So, uh, and I curse. People don't always like that, but I'm from Jersey, so you know I got to keep it real. So I know. we talk about it all the time how much we curse, but it's just so natural. Yeah, yeah. God, people out here, and when people say cuss, like I will have people message me and say. Um, I really, I love your content, but you cuss too much. I'm like, first of all, if you say cuss, you can like... Fuck off. (laughs) Number one. Um, So yeah, if you are uh, like, you know, a little uh, faint of heart, maybe just prepare yourself for some F-bombs. But it comes from a place of love. It's sentence enhancers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Totally. They say people who curse more have clearer throat chakras and are more honest. Is that what it is? That's what yeah, they that's, say. Is that the feeling, justification? Just feeling clearer yeah. in my chakra. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll ride with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now that Mercury's at a retrograde. Now that Mercury's at a retrograde, and my all chakras things are, are possible. You know what I mean? Your chakras are all good to go. This is awesome. Good. I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Brianna. And Thank we you can't wait for to having me on the back show. On. I really appreciate it. I'm super grateful for the opportunity. Oh, it's just. Yeah. This, I love listening. This is invaluable. Um, and our micro SD card for the video is is uh. It's full? It's full. So uh, this was perfect. All righty. Enjoy the rest of your day. Kill that Sunday. Enjoy the sun. Ciao. You got it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. Do we pause the podcast or do we wrap it up? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's over. Yeah, that was so awesome. Oh, she's still on. Oh, wait. We're still recording. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm not fucking leaving.